Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Church Leaders Roundtable podcast. My name is Darren Calhoun, pronouns he, him. And this week we are talking about disability in the church. Um, it is the when we're recording this, this is the month of July, which is Disability Awareness or Disability Pride. And we have a special guest with us today. But before I introduce or before I hand off to introduce our guest, I would like to introduce my co-hosts. First up is Sarah. Hey, everyone. And then there's Stacy. Hi. And we can never, ever forget Kevin. I sure hope not. Hey there, everyone. <laughs> Awesome. We're so glad you joined us again. And here is Sarah. And I'm here to introduce one of my friends, my online friends that I've not met in person. But the first time I remember Sunny, knowing you, knowing who you were, we met in a group. We met in, um, I guess, a couple Facebook groups. I've seen, I kept seeing your face and I kept seeing the name and I'm like, Sunny Brown, where, where do I know that name? Oh, that's the girl on the grow curriculum and she does the 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 ASL and she interprets the <laughs> the scripture. And for me it was like, wow, I know her. I know her. Like it felt like a like a famous moment to me because I was teaching this curriculum and seeing your face well before I actually met you. And then um just engaging and hearing just your voice in different conversations and um, conferences and just all that you speak on, um, especially around disabilities and um, accessibility. So Sunny, I just want you to like tell us because I can, you know, talk about you, but for you to just tell us, what do you do? Where, what's your heart work? What, what makes you up in the morning? Why do you do the things that you do? Yeah. Well, thank y'all, first of all, for even having me. I'm so appreciative um, of seeing my online cousins. You know, when you really vibe with people that you meet online, they become your cousins. So uh, super excited to be there um, with you all. Yeah, um, I'm Sunny and I have been involved in um, diverse ability work for quite a while. Um, you guys will probably notice that I always use the term diverse ability. Um, just as someone who's not in that space, um, I never was comfortable using the word disability because I feel like it kind of focuses on what people cannot do um, versus diverse ability just shows me, hey, this is something that I do differently. Um, I think early on, uh, I got interested in American Sign Language. I have an associate's degree in American Sign Language, and I got interested in it because um, I had um, a friend of mine who was a wonderful dancer, and she was deaf. And on the back of a vacation Bible school pamphlet was the alphabet in American Sign Language. And so that's how she and I would communicate, and she would start teaching me uh, different signs and different things. Uh, when I was young and then as I went on, you know, I got my associate's degree uh, because back then, way back then, uh, <laughs> you couldn't get a bachelor's in American Sign Language. It was only an associate's degree. So um, I was able to do that. And then I started um, one of the I took a class called Religious Signing. And in the class, the first day, the um, instructor who was deaf said, uh, yeah, I love to teach this class because I actually don't really go to church. So, of course, as church people, I'm like, how is he teaching this religious signing class? Uh, he doesn't even go to church. And he says, yeah, I don't go to church because 
Uh, there's never any interpreters there. So I don't really know what's happening anyway. And I really thought about it. And then he started giving us like all of these statistics, right? Kevin, I know you'll love this, <laughs> these statistics, right? He starts to give us these statistics and says, hey, um, he says, hey, you uh, understanding different, you know, all of you that are in here, I know you want to learn all these wonderful signs. However, he says, listen to what I'm telling you. Only 2% of deaf people pro profess Jesus. Only 2% say that they are saved um, because most of them say, I never had access. I had no idea what was going on the whole time I was there. Y'all, that just broke my heart. You know, if you're an evangelist, if you're a youth pastor at heart, you know, if you if you just love God at least a little bit, that should pull your heartstrings just a little bit. And it pissed me off because I was like, man, I've been in church for all these years. And to see that a friend of mine, she had no idea what was really being said. All those times when I felt like, oh my goodness, that was such a good word. It was just passing right over her. She was just waiting for her opportunity to dance. Um, and I just felt like that was such a waste. And, you know, it was, it just really pricked my heart. So as I kind of went on through life, I uh, worked for a bunch of nonprofits and kind of expanded with uh, diverse abilities, making sure there's access uh, for people um, into different buildings, um, physically um, able to be hired and that there are different things that are put in place. So we can support people with even different uh, cognitive diverse abilities, um, making sure that we're a place that hires, that has access for that. Um, and so as I continue to go along, that's kind of how I got plugged in uh, to equity work when it comes to diverse abilities. That's awesome. And you teach Am I, am I correct in that? Yes. You teach ASL? I do. So I only teach the beginner classes uh, because I believe that um, native um, native signers, um, deaf people should be the ones that teach intermediate and advanced classes. Uh, so I only teach beginner classes and then I pass them off to a colleague of mine who is deaf and I encourage people to take the upper classes with him. So that's a, also a part of you know, equity work is making sure that we're not standing in the way as a hearing person. I'm giving you the basics of, of the language so that you can learn from a native signer um, and to support them, to support their business um, as well. That's awesome. And so how did you get into like the GROW curriculum and, and doing that? I don't even remember. <laughs> I really don't even remember, actually. Um, I'm not sure exactly how Elle or Kenny. I just remember they reached out to me um, and they asked about doing. I think I, I don't know. I think I made a comment about uh, accessibility or something. And then they reached out and asked me. They were originally they were going to do, you know, you do like uh, like hand gestures to help kids remember scriptures. And then they thought, you know, they had that light bulb to say, hey, why don't we actually do um, sign language? Uh, so they reached out to me and I've been doing it ever since. I think this is like the third. I just finished another. We just wrapped another recording. So I think that's the third or fourth one that I've done. So uh, there's more coming always. <laughs> and for those of you that may not be aware, I didn't mention it before, but GROW is a youth and children's ministry curriculum. And so um, one of the things I love, too, that, 
you guys added was like the hacks for special needs. And so when uh, oftentimes I find when you're doing like all these um, just in children's and youth ministry and you can you can read a lesson plan or, you know, an activity and think, oh, that's great. But is it accessible? Is it going to work for every child? And so having those like hacks, I found because it makes me think in a way, um, you know, that my ableist self has not been able to think of what what points am I missing? What what how can I think differently to make sure that I'm reaching out to all families, all children, regardless of whether I know that they're attending the church or not? Yeah. And some of those are just even I mean, it's just small things like, um, you know, if you have someone who has seizures you know, it's really popular for teen events to have strobe lights, but those trigger seizures, you know? So just little things like just knowing these small things. Um, If you have someone who um, maybe for, you know, you might have, I mean, how many times have we had like a a 16 year old who maybe cognitively is like a nine year old, um, but they're in, you know, they're in the youth um, team uh, how many, you know, just knowing to partner them up with someone, um, or knowing to let them help you set up or to be the counter so that they feel like they're still part of it. Um, I think that's the great thing about accessibility is where you create these safe spaces. So nobody feels ostracized. And as the parent, you know, if, if there's a parent of someone who has diverse abilities, they don't feel like they have to be in there Um, if you've ever, you know, had the opportunity to sit down and talk with a parent, um, who has a child with diverse abilities, a lot of times they are exhausted, you know, and and just don't even come to church because it's just so exhausting to even get there. Um, so it's been, a you know, being able to put those hacks together so that, you know, those parents also have that rest have been just amazing to me. Yeah, I love that. And I love like, I just, it just made me think in a different way. Um, I wanted to ask you something that just shifting gears slightly. um, In one of your, I don't know if it was a keynote, it was the little church ministry, or I might be saying the the name all, it was a church conference that you did. (laughs) And during one of the workshops, I remember you kept driving home the point of not waiting for families with disabilities to be in your church before you're taking these actions. Can you just speak a little bit more about that? We we touched on it a little bit last week for those of you that listened last week, but I just, I feel like you, you were driving it in and just all the reasons why it's important to start now. Yeah. um, I believe that, you know, as believers, I just believe that honestly, as, as the church, we should be driving all of these initiatives. I, but oftentimes we are lagging far, far behind. Um, and that's because I feel like we always have the spirit of wait um, instead of the spirit of go. And so I just always try to encourage everyone right. to go, you know, like what, like what did Jesus literally say? He said, go. <laughs> and so um, in doing so, uh, take that to heart with going ahead and setting up those things, setting up and having in youth ministry, you know, the all the different balls and different things in case you have a, a child that doesn't sit still, you know, go ahead and get those things before they come in 
uh, so that those things are already set up. So I can feel, so my son can feel free to invite his friend who kind of bounces around in school, you know, let, let's go ahead and start, you know, doing the scriptures in sign language. So my daughter can feel free to invite uh, one of the one one of the women who one of the girls who are deaf, you know, so she can feel free to invite her from Girl Scouts. Uh, we're not getting, you know, people with diverse abilities or families with uh, people who have diverse abilities because we haven't even set up a table for them. There's no table set for them to come to. And then we expect them to come. And then oftentimes we expect them to also build that table. And that's just unfair um, for us to ask. And so um, Mm -hmm. one of the things I kept trying to remind everyone of is to make sure that we're we're taking that first step. You know, what what is it that we can do in our church right now? Uh, to take that first step, learning sign, learning scriptures in sign language. That's a first step. I mean, think about the, from most of the scriptures that we're learning, you might get the word God or Lord or Jesus. How important are those signs? You know, and imagine that you may be the first person to teach a deaf child the sign for Jesus. Like, think about how powerful that is. Uh, but we don't often, you know, kind of go <laughs> that far to think about it. Uh, so that's why I'm always like, no, do it now. Get an interpreter now. You can't afford one. Call your local school that is doing the interpreter program. They all have to do practicum hours. Ask them to come. Ask them to come. They may, they may come for free. You never know. So just trying to get into that point where we're partnering um, with local places to make our churches more accessible. You know, I love what you said about not only is there not a place at the table for people with diverse abilities, but also we're asking them to show up and build the table for themselves. Yeah. Um, churches churches are often hesitant, right? They're often like, oh, well, we, you know, we we want to do this or we don't want to do that. Could you speak to maybe that fear that churches have of getting things wrong of, you know, well, we don't want to open the Ikea box table because we don't want to, we don't know how to, how to assemble it right. What would you, what would you say to those churches or Uh, church leaders? Yeah, I would definitely, I would definitely say uh, that what is there to fear? You know, what is there to fear? We, you know, if we, you know, I'm Pentecostal. So they're all, you know, we're always like, God has not given us the spirit of fear, but power, love, and a sound mind. How do we have power, love, and a sound mind, but we're not forward thinking? You know, like how do we have that, but we're not forward thinking? Why are we Mm -hmm. always so behind? To me, it doesn't make sense that the board of education is making these steps and the church is not. You know, we have like we have power of the Holy Spirit. We we should know the truth before anybody knows the truth. And we take so long to take the most simple steps. (laughs) Um, So definitely I would encourage him uh, not to be in fear. But again, going back to extending those partnerships, we don't we don't know everything. I'm not an expert. I learn from the deaf community. I learn from the blind community. I love from, I learn from the autistic community. Uh, I'm constantly learning and I'm constantly putting myself in spaces where they teach me, where I pay to learn from that community. Cause I believe in, in sewing in that. Um, so we have to yeah. kind of step outside of our ego. You, and you said put, you pay what? Oh, oh yeah. <laughs> like I'm going to pay to take a class. I'm going to pay to take a class on sign language or deaf history um, from a deaf man, from a deaf woman, 
Like who's going to teach, who's going to teach me better. Um, and so for, for me, we have to right. kind of get outside of that and they're around. I mean, I tell everybody, you know, Google is your friend. You know, I'm not, I'm not teaching. I'm, it's not my job to, to, to teach everybody, but I will lead you to Google. <laughs> Good old That's what's Google. up. I'm a so, um, so are there a Googleologist? I love it. <laughs> so are there are there certain like websites or I know I follow a few folks on TikTok and I probably will have to link to them in the in the show notes. But um, there's certain places I go and I'm just constantly amazed, not only because it's not only about having all the tips and tricks. It's yeah. also knowing the everyday experiences, seeing what what it means for somebody who's uh who's autistic to get stopped by the police to see what it means when somebody's deaf and can't hear the siren because deaf people can drive, you know? Yeah. I don't know <laughs> and why police like make yeah. all these assumptions. Yeah. Right. And actually that happened, um, that happened to a young woman um, just a few months ago who she was pulled over. Um, she was pulled over and her kids were in the car and her kids were maybe, I don't know, maybe 11 and nine. And her kids were forced to interpret for her. And it was just so traumatic Wow! because she was, she was scared. You know, she didn't know what was going on. They handcuffed her. So, you know, ultimately you're silencing her because her hands are are handcuffed and her children are now being forced to interpret for her. And you can, I mean, it's like all on camera. You can hear the officer saying, I don't care tell her, tell her to do this, tell her to do that. And just how traumatic that is. Um, you know, it's now, I mean, there's literally, um, they have like a, like a, I don't necessarily, it's a product now, um, that deaf people have made to like, keep your ID and your wallet and your insurance stuff, like right by your visor. Uh, and it says on the, like, when you flip it down, it says I'm deaf. Because there's been times where deaf people have been shot for putting their hands up, you know? So it's just, yeah. you know, and we've seen over and over again, you know, people with um, having mental health episodes who have, you know, been shot or killed um, when they should have, you know, been receiving social services. So, yeah, you're right. I mean, and honestly, if I think back on it, I can really think of quite a few times in my church where people who needed assistance, um, came in and, you know, we kind of tried, you know, we're more focused on pleading the blood of Jesus instead of really helping, um, and, and really just allow, allowing them access to some things, you know, um, just like we say, Jesus and therapy are, are good to go. Uh, we also have to recognize that Jesus and accessibility are two things that go together. So we can, we can love people. We can pray for people. Um, but we also need to create intentional access for them. Absolutely. Could you could you say more about what access means? And we 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 had our previous guests define it, but I know there's different nuances that come up every time. So what what is accessibility, and why is it so important? I love this question. So I think uh, for me, accessibility is intentionally creating space that is open for everybody. Um, and so that accessibility means it is accessible for everyone. That means 
you should be able to get to this space if you are in a wheelchair, if you are deaf, if you are blind, um, if you have um, any diverse abilities that can't be seen on the outside, um, any, any, any of that, you should be able to receive this information um, in your way, which a lot of times means you need to give it visually, you need to give it audibly, you need to, you know, you need might need to give it in a tactile manner. Um, just like uh, Sarah was mentioning, when we specifically talk about kids, that's why there's so many different ways. That's why we do crafts and we do songs and we jump up and down and we play games where we just blink our eyes. You know, like there are, there are different things that you want to uh, try to do uh, to show like, yes, we're all involved in this activity, even if we're involved differently. So I think for kids, like when I'm hearing you like talk about the different ways, like I think we can think of easier ways for like children and kids. But what about like, like just preaching like sermons? Mm-hmm. Like what are ways that people can just preach you know, on stage and still ha- add that that part. I'm always going to say that. Get an interpreter. Get one, get one. Yes. Um so I love that. What are ways that what are ways that we can do? So I think we've actually started to move to this. Um I think the pandemic actually kind of pushed kind of forced a lot of people into it, meaning um we started using PowerPoints more. We started using um point you know, like when we have our main points, they go across the screen or they pop up on the screen. The other thing is like Facebook and YouTube, for example, they have automatic cap closed captioning that pops up. Closed captioning is not 1000%, but it does work. It is, you know, the reason why I actually stopped using Zoom um, and started using um, Google Meets because Google Meets has closed captioning and Zoom has not yet rolled out mm. uh, their closed captioning just yet. So, you know, I... They did update it recently. They did. Okay, good. good. They said that they had sent an email yep. out, um, but initially, you know, it, it took them quite a while. And I think I was more disappointed, Darren, that it took them the whole pandemic. So you have kids who were right. using Zoom for classes and didn't have access to the information. Mm you know, for a whole year. And I'm like, you could have got somebody from Google. Where is Mark Zuckerberg and Facebook? Somebody could have figured out how to get this on this platform. You know, I'm like, come on, use your resources, right? They, they didn't care. Yeah, they, they all know each other. Yeah, they're all, they're, yeah, they again, all know you each know, other. Like it's about profit. <laughs> yes. But think about it. Like it's about profit, but now you've had kids or you've had, even like in my college classes, you've had, uh, non-traditional adult learners who are going through these classes that didn't get all of the information. So, you know, and, and it also, you know, kind of back to what you asked, Darren, accessibility also means that those of us who are able that we start saying something when it's not accessible. So, mm-hmm. you know, when we had our, right. um, recently we, you know, I became a part of a sorority and during that process, you know, I reached out to the organization and said, hey, we have to stop using Zoom because I realized when we were talking on Zoom, I realized that one of the sisters, one of the participants, I could tell from her vo- from her voice that there's some hearing loss there. So it's unfair for her to be expected 
to get this information through the Zoom. And so they created like a PowerPoint and different things. To, they were like, oh, thank you so much for letting me know. Great. And then they kind of changed the way that they presented the information. So, you know, some for some of us, just going ahead and saying it and saying, hey, we're going to do it before anybody, you know, says anything. I was slow to do it. Um, when I really should have did it, just said it anyway, be, until I was waiting. And then I, when I heard her speak, I was like, oh, okay, let me go ahead and do it. But I shouldn't have, I shouldn't have waited. I should have just said, hey, but what if somebody X, Y, and Z, but now we've changed it. So going forward, anybody else who joins the organization will receive the information in multiple manners instead of just audibly, you know, on Zoom. Yeah, and it I mean it accessibility benefits everyone. Oh, it makes that's it easier. So good, makes it, that's so good, Darren. So many people watch. Yeah. <laughs> every time I get on an elevator now, like cuz I took that for granted, but every time I get on an elevator, like I think about that. Yeah. Of just like this was not created for me. No. But I get the benefit of not having to, you know, carry stuff up the steps, you know, when I'm move, moving stuff in and out at the church or, or just so different good. things, ramps and yes. all these things that have not been made for my able body, but yes. I get the benefit of it. And so why are we not, if we're able to consume these things, are we not out advocating? And I, I love like the, the, um, the way you name just like advocacy about being the one to like speak up about things, not expecting those who, you know, are disabled to speak out on those things, right? um, to advocate for themselves. But I think it also like takes us to be able to like step back and not, you know, judge people and have that empathy because sometimes we make assumptions about people. Yeah. We assume if somebody like, you know, going back to the police incident, but you know, somebody that's having a mental health episode, we automatically want to possibly have a negative reaction towards that person yeah instead of how can we help how can we help use our voice to advocate for people I think about the classroom um I think about you know kids who get um sent to the principal's office Mm -hmm. for falling asleep in class or dazing out or not paying attention or you know bouncing around in their seats just different things that if we would stop and think like could there be more to this and how can we help this student instead of punishing them? Because how is that going to help? Yeah. And what support possibly does the family need? Yeah. And it kind of goes, you know, when you talk about, you know, kids who fall asleep in class or aren't paying attention or aren't listening, we we hear that a lot of times. Sometimes it is a diverse ability that can't, um, sometimes it is a diverse ability that can't be seen. And so if if it is that, you know, how are we shaming them uh, in their educational process Mm. by kicking them out of a classroom when really they just need access? They need to be have it done um, in another way. Yeah, we last I'm thinking of just like some of the the ways we've been having conversations around ableism. Mm -hmm. Um, and what that means. So I'm curious if you can just like to you, what ways do you see like our society, our schools, our churches, like what ways does does ableism show up for you? I love, oh, this is such a good question. Um, So the first time, the first way that I see often uh, ableism to show up is when we see kids who have 
tons of energy and can't sit still. And we yell at them and tell them to sit still and be quiet. Now, sometimes people are like, why is that ableism? This this particular child may not be able to sit still. So now we are um, really kind of almost making them internalize about the fact that they can't still sit still to connect that with negative connotation, right? So because we're able mm. to sit still as adults, we kind of expect kids to do the same. Now, the reason why I say it, it always kind of shows up first, because that's one of the first things that you usually see um, in kids who um, maybe have some sort of hearing loss um, or some kind of cognitive um, concern going on that maybe has not been diagnosed yet. Um, so imagine these these instances where now I'm internalizing that this means I'm bad, right? This means that I, I, I because I can't sit still mm. at five years old, because I mean, who at five years old can sit still? But because I can't sit still at five years old, you know, something is wrong with me. And not only something's wrong with me, this adult has said it in front of all of these people. So now all of these adults all say that something is wrong with me, that I'm bad, that I misbehave. Um, I'm also really specific about words that I uh, attribute to children anyway. Um, so for me, you know, mm-hmm. I, if you want to see me snap quicker than a whip, call a child bad. Like I'm coming, I'm coming for you. Right? Um, because yes. I just think it's so we, we, we take away the magic of, of young people. You know, we take away the spirit of them. Um, and I see that as just such an ableist thing. How do we know, how do we know that this child can sit still? You know, how do we, how do we know that's such an ableist mindset to believe that everybody can, um, well, maybe everyone cannot. Um, so that's kind of like one of the first uh, things that I that I see show up. The other thing um, is has been even with um, our masks throughout COVID, right? So I don't think I have a. You guys can't even. Well, we're on audio, so you won't be able to see it anyway. But I have a mask that has um, it's like a clear anti fog, like see through right here, and then the rest of it is like a regular mask. And so, um, I always I had those made at the beginning of. COVID, you know, I had them made, I had them, I had 10 of them made and I always wear them because I have one deaf friend who it was imperative for her to see my facial expressions, to know what was really going on. And so to watch her in the midst of like the highest peak of the pandemic, have to ask people to put their mask down to mouth whatever they're saying to her Mm -hmm. so she could try to figure it out. I just thought about like how much um, how much really health concern that was for her to have to ask people to do that, um, for just that extra step for her to have to do. It was just a lot. And I kind of, you know, processed through, you know, again, from my ableist mindset, I'm like, man, I never had to think about that. I never had to think about having to ask someone to put their mask down to now possibly spread COVID to me so that I could understand, you know, just thinking about like some of those um, some of those things, especially throughout the pandemic. And then again, like we saw uh, with the schools, with with Zoom, uh, without closed captioning at that time, um, and to just see like the, 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 the struggle. I mean, there were, mind you, kids struggled anyway with the change. Um, so imagine being, you know, right. having a diverse ability or being in a special education classroom online. I mean, I was like, 
this is bar this is bar none a, a, a tough one. It's a tough one. Yeah, and I don't even know how like that was it. Like like families were even able to make that work. Yeah, because I see. So in my church, we operate. Um, through the school district, um, we have an autism program mm-hmm. that meets in our, our churches. And so I've learned just because I share like some of my Sunday school classrooms with them and just learning everything that I've learned about space and their needs and um, just watching them interact with the students mm-hmm. and how, um, you know, they were talking about just the complications through, through the pandemic um, yeah. and just, how they had to adapt, but even like the online, just hearing them, like, how are we going to do this online? Because when I tell you, like, at least with the children that they have, they have like, um, I call them yoga balls. I don't know what else they do to yeah. the, the big ball. They have a, a beam, yeah. a ba- like a balancing beam. They have like, I, I'm like, I want to be in this classroom. They have trampolines. They have all these little like sensory things. Yeah. Like the whole, like just creative things that I'm just like, wow. And like just learning like all the different things. But I'm like, how do you go from online, you know, for certain kids that need these different sensory outlets yeah. or just learning like when I'm going back to um, your example about just how, you know, we see we see kids that we might might label as bad. Yeah. So there was this this one child that was throwing mulch and that we would, you know, would label as, oh, that's not a good thing that that kid was doing. But right. the kid was throwing mulch because it was like a sensory thing. They love the way that it was sound when it hit the ground. Mm-hmm. And like this child was just like in blitz, like just happy. Like it was like yeah. the best thing ever. Of course, you know, this was integrated with other kids. So we had to figure out how to keep the kids safe. Yeah. And, you know, still give this kid that sensory, I don't know if it's input or output, I don't know the correct term, but give this child that sensory that they were seeking. Yeah. And so just being able to like learn these things and just see like, it's just it was just a world that I, again, in my ableist mind just has not been exposed to yeah. on how much work is done with kids with special needs. And um I mean, I just think about the parents too. Yeah. Like just and, raising kids with special needs. Yeah. And you bring up a good point um, about sensory um, sensory needs. There's so many, um, like you mentioned, the, the child with the mulch. Um, we, um, I've worked with children who, um, we have, we have one child who used to like just, just rub on people's arms. Like that was just his safety. You know, he'd just come, he didn't care who you were. He'd just come right up and. He was nonverbal and he would just, you know, just stroke your arm and you just had to, you know, you had to know now that's okay for, you know, people who um, are comfortable with that. But then we had other kids who had sensory issues and did not want to be touched at all. So we would know to not have them sitting near each other because the one child was going to reach out and just stroke your arm. You know, and if you kind of yanked away, would start getting like physically, you know, you you could see visibly upset. Um, And so, again, knowing, you know, you have one child that has to, you know, touch people, another child that doesn't want to be touched. I think one that we see in church all the time, especially as we get kind of into this more dramatic presentations, is a lot of people have sensory needs to darkness. So, you know, you know, Mm -hmm. even allowing people to know if you're going to do like a drama or something of that nature, 
hey, letting people know like, hey, just so you know, it will be dark in here. People love that, you know, and there are some very high functioning um, autistic colleagues that I have that when we're getting ready to like dim the lights, they'll just step kind of out to the um, doorway and kind of have the doorway open. So they're in a more lighted area, but they appreciate, you know, letting up because if you do it before and don't tell, then it could be traumatizing. It could be triggering. It could be, you know, all kinds of things. So, you know, just being able to make sure that they're aware, you know, letting people know what you're going to do before you do it. I know we like, you know, the big surprise. Um, but have you ever seen like, uh, like we said, have you ever seen, um, like a, a veteran that has PTSD around 4th of July? Like it's scary, you know, it's very mm-hmm. scary for them. So, you know, also having, you know, headphones, if you know that you're getting ready to blast some super loud music, you know, maybe you're having like a women's night and you're just like, yeah, we're getting ready to live it up ladies, you know, having, um, having headphones just available just in case somebody, Hey, do you want some headphones? You know, you don't want to, you know, traumatize people because of their, um, diverse ability. Um, and, and then, you know, have them feeling like, Oh man, now I'm the weird person who was walking around with my head, with my hands on my head. Um, so just different things like that, you know, really getting to know. And honestly, a lot of that is relationship getting to know in those relationships. Like if you walk mm-hmm. in and as you know, if you're doing something with young people or even adults, cause I think we, we focus on the young people with it, but there are plenty of adults, um, who are high functioning, um, that have all kinds of diverse abilities. And so as we recognize that going into church and having headphones in the back, I mean, how many times have we been in adult service and seen somebody be like, Oh my God, it's too loud. You know, we used to like make fun of them. And now we know better. And it's like, oh, man, there there might be really something that, you know, that that triggers them or that, you know, they may have a diverse ability that they just can't handle it. I don't know necessarily what's happening. So little things like that, having those um, headphones there, um, having um, I mentioned it earlier, but having like a box um, even before people go in service of, um, you know, something for people to kind of squeeze or you know, draw with or whatever. Yeah. Um, like so fidget that, toys. Yeah. Like fidget toys. I mean, how many adults, like we talk about the kid, but those kids, they grow up and they're the same way. <laughs> they're the same way. I noticed like, like right here. Yes. Oh, yeah. Yes. Like I noticed Hi. a lot of times when oh, I, yeah. Yeah. I noticed a lot of times when I start getting in like high anxiety spaces that my knees start kind of jumping up and down. Um, and I remember my son was the same way. And uh, when he was in school, one of the teachers said, oh, there's nothing wrong with him. She said, I just let him take his test on the on the exercise ball. So he would just bounce on the exercise ball and do whatever he needed to do. That's all he needed to do was a wig. He went and she called it like the wiggle ball. Yeah. And she would just be like, he's fine. There's nothing, you know, he's fine he's going on. So that's accessibility where she thought ahead. She didn't label him. And she was like, here, hey, can you imagine if we had some of those like wiggle balls in service? I mean, people would stop falling asleep. Like it's it's we need them. Let's let's bring those in. That's what we need. Right. Or uh, just to think about that visual you said of to see someone sitting in service looking at their phone or wearing headphones. And not presuming that, oh, you disrespecting the service. You're not even paying attention. 
like there are apps that will real time caption yes. what's what it's yes. hearing and if yes. you haven't done anything to to help that along they might be do, might be building that table themselves yes but now you're presuming or now we're assuming that they they just clearly are focused on something else other than the word <laughs> yeah and think also, about it some of us have to do something else while listening that's yeah. me i yeah. constantly i I'm watching TV, but I'm playing a game at the same time. Or yeah. a lot of times I listen to audiobooks while mm-hmm. I'm doing something else because if I'm just sitting still listening, f- forget it. I'm not hearing anything that's being said. So, yeah. 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 You said it. I think, um, and it just, and for those. <laughs> it makes me think of how we're, you know, how we go into um, spaces and we say, all right, everybody turn in your phones. We really have to think about, are we asking people to turn in their access? Like, are we, are we asking people to, you know, when we have those signs up that say no phones in service, are we really saying no access in service? Because of the, like you said, Darren, all of the apps and different things, if you don't do it, they will figure out there's a way where there's a will, there's a way somebody's done it. Um, so Thinking through that, like, what does that mean? What, you know, and again, it kind of goes back to relationship building, uh, building those relationships. So, you know. It's, I find it hard to like, um, convince some, some people in the church that like, you, cause they have this very, like when it comes to learning, like this very narrow mindset of, you know, well, you have to be focused and you have to be staring at the person that's, you know, teaching because that's a sign of respect and a sign of, you know, and sitting still. And in my classroom, it might seem, I say classroom, but with the youth that I work with, um, we have doodling pads, like we have little markers. Like I leave out like coloring book. Like one time I put out like just little coloring books, like just just had them out and like they they were I mean it was like like kid kitty coloring books and the youth were like so excited just sitting there like doodling and coloring why um while I you know we were going over um the lesson and just little like anything to kind of get their mind like whatever they need I mean I'm not really a stickler on phones I know a lot of people you know tend to be I tried it because again I don't know what access or what they might need the phone or I'm not really, I don't like, who am I to say, well, you have to give your phone up. Yeah. I don't know what they need to have that phone near them. Um, you know, I have some of my youth that, you know, have a lot of anxiety. Is that phone near that person giving them a sense of comfort? And am I going to take that away by saying you can't have your phone or you can't, you know, do this. We put so many restrictions on it without realizing what people are going through, what people's yeah. individual needs are. And I love like the relationship piece of if we would take the time to like get outside of what we've been taught and this is how we learn and this is how you show sign of respect. And this yeah. is, um, I especially love the the calling out of the bad kid because that's something that really bothers me too. Um, it's why I don't like Santa Claus too. Um yeah. yeah. I can get in a whole yeah. tangent about most, Santa Claus. Most of the other near, for, uh, most of the fairy tales and nursery rhymes were supposed to scare kids. Like they were as gory and horrific, and most of the Disney versions are the nice versions. 
they were supposed to scare kids because that's what they thought good good child raising was, at least in certain parts of the country, because yeah. those aren't universal. Well, not the country, but the, you know, certain continents, no shade, <clears throat> Europe. But uh, <laughs> <laughs> but even the even the notion and this is this is on a on a more serious note but the notion of sitting up looking someone in the eyes and paying attention is a western a european value mm-hmm. that was not the value of the indigenous children who were forced into to government schools that were often christian schools mm-hmm. where we're hearing about so many losing their lives yeah and the culture of many native american groups was to look down. You don't look somebody in the eye when you're pray- paying them reverence or attention. Yeah. You look down, you close your eyes even, and you listen deeply with your ears. And to think how many people kind of literally lost their lives Yeah. because we didn't know, well, because a lot of horrible things, but also um, because we didn't realize that there are different ways to do things and be attentive and be yeah. respectful and all these other things. Um, I mean, again, that's the, the the soft version of what that whole situation was. But that has constantly made me think more and more about the the, the nonverbal, the body language stuff that mm-hmm. we kind of assume. Well, I saw the look on your face, so I know exactly what you were thinking. No, maybe you don't. <laughs> and, and um, Aaron, that but, we... That when when you're talking about that look on someone's face, you know why do we not allow children to feel emotion? Why are we right. why are we teaching them that you have to be stoic at five years old? That you're not right. allowed to cry, especially we don't let boys cry often, and then we wonder, mm-hmm. you know, why they're 25 and they're getting married and they're horrible at communicating emotions. Well, you know, our society has continued to teach them that this was unacceptable. I always think of the shopping cart tantrums that everyone always, well, if your kid is throwing a fit in the store and all this, then you're a bad parent. And but what all the different reasons kids could be reacting in public. Yeah. Yeah. For whatever reason, and especially kids, lights. Yes. The, the people, the yes. crowds, because they're tired, yes. because maybe they do want a toy and they don't like, mm-hmm. it's okay for kids mm-hmm. to want things Grocery and be and cry because they don't have things. Yeah. yeah. Grocery stores are cold. It's yeah. too bright. There Maybe there's too many mm-hmm. people. Maybe it, you know, however the, the, the aisles look, you know, don't feel welcoming. You know, it's so many different things that kids can kind of pick up on um and i just hate that we we punish kids for that and then it's almost times 10 if there's any type of um diversibility that that is along with that like we just don't always understand mm-hmm. i wanted to ask real quick and i'm i'm loving this conversation so much um and like I'm thinking of so many different things in my parenting and my teaching preaching style. Uh, just last week, uh, there's two students that that we've got who are on the ASD spectrum. Mm-hmm. I guess that's just that's redundant on that are on the autism spectrum. Mm-hmm. Um, and and they always sit in the back. They we have this like giant like soccer ball that's like I kid you not four feet across, 
and that's their wiggle ball. Like they're best friends. And last week, one of them was making a ton of noise. And I, I just asked him, I said, Hey bud, could you, could you just quiet down? Could you not make noise a little bit? Mm -hmm. Um, like, I don't like, like, I don't want him to stop doing what he's doing, but yeah. it was getting to the point where other people were turning around. And afterwards I went up to him. I talked to him. I'm like, Hey, I love you. I love that you're doing that. I love that you're listening, blah, blah. Um, I just, I just like, like I couldn't hear I was getting to the point where I couldn't hear myself. That's how loud you were being. And yeah. Like he didn't realize that. Um, and that kind of talks to the to the relationship aspect. Like yeah. I've talked to his parents. I've talked to, I've talked to him. I've talked to the people around him and, and I've understood how to do all this. And if you're, you hear some crying, that's my kid right now in the background. <laughs> um, but to bring all this to a question, there's a, we're talking a lot about like proactiveness. Like what do we do? Like we, we, we can't expect somebody to come and then ask them to also uh, also build the table. We have to build the table beforehand. Yeah. Right. We, we need to do the work. Um, but what happens? How do we step in? How do we advocate? How do we whatever involve ourselves when we have to be reactive? Mm -hmm. Like um, uh, an example from my life is that uh, oftentimes because I'm bilingual because I speak Spanish and English. I've gotten to step in on more than one occasion for somebody who's uh, having an argument either with a store worker or or a police officer on a couple of occasions where like they cannot understand each other. And I step in and I'm like, hey, this is what the officer is saying to you. This is what this person res is responding. And so like from personal experience, I know what that's like from a bilingual English Spanish standpoint, but mm -hmm. how do we be reactive? How can we be reactive in the right way? If that makes sense? How do we, how do we go about that? Does, does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. I think um, exactly what you said, um, going back to what I mentioned about, um, about building that community, um, meaning, you can cor you can correct anybody that you have relationship with, you know. Like that's you know when you have relationship with people, um, people will receive it and they'll and they'll understand it. So he received it quickly. I think the only challenge that I would hey the only challenge I would say um, to you, Kevin, is I think that's a great opportunity because a lot of times you bring up a really a really good thought is. A lot of times we, people may only see the reaction, right? People may only see the uh, correction or the redirection, but what would happen if you did a sermon and you incorporated those two kids? You know, what if you did, what if you did an activity and you incorporated them? So what happens is we start to have this integration where kids who are coming up and our, our community partners and our members start to see a diverse group of people come across the front of the stage instead of always in the back. Mm -hmm. And think about how that create, what culture that is really going to cultivate. So now when a child is making a noise in the back who may also be autistic, it's not, I'm worried about saying something to them, even though I really need to redirect them or it's no, I, this is, this is the kid I just saw up during, you know, he was up, you know, leading the song or doing whatever. Um, I can go over to him and say, Hey, sweetheart, can you, 
um, keep it down a little bit because we're doing, I've started to see them in both aspects. So not just being, uh, I don't want to say reprimanded, but not just being redirected, but also this is someone that I, that I get to see up at the front. Um, so just thinking through what that looks like. I don't know if I answered your question. <laughs> just thought about it. I, no, that that's good. I appreciate that. And and that is a good challenge for me. Like I've, I've been trying to to incorporate more more different ways of worship and yeah. and speaking the word, uh, and I'll be honest, that's what you just said. You know, bringing bringing one of these two students or both of these students or or any students that are um, differently abled, as you say, up and helping them help helping having them help me out um, is honestly not something that I've thought about. Uh, I'm embarrassed to say, but it's it's a really good challenge. And I'm gonna spend the next like three weeks thinking about that because we go to camp next week, and yeah, there's there's a lot going on in the next few weeks. But I'm gonna be spending a lot of time thinking about that uh, from here on out because of it. So thank you. Yeah, and I, it was also making me think about how part of our part of us leading our conversation converse, conversations, part of us leading our congregations is teaching our congregation, how to see people well and love Ooh, people well. Darren, um, you be so preaching totally on here. an act of discipleship. <laughs> <laughs> it's an act of discipleship when we train people how to, instead of being in church and like feeling irritated yes. or maybe distracted, how to go, oh, this is an opportunity for me yes. to learn, to listen, to show grace. Like there's all these different uh, kinds of, ways that we can engage yeah. a moment like that that are a growth step that are retraining just like uh for example in my church prompting people to include their pronouns is a way that we're inclusive um, of people who are gender diverse us um, prompting patients and reminding each other and helping people figure out well this side of the room is probably going to be noisy every sunday so maybe we can get you situated on the other side of the room yeah like building that culture in your church um, can be a really important way to, again, help help all of us love the whole body of Christ, not just the kinds that that go to church the way we think they should. Listen, mm -hmm. and it's such a great spot. I love it. It's such a great spot to do it, you know, during worship, like during praise and worship. Like give everybody a tambourine, give everybody a noisemaker, you know, letting, you know, people who are, have diverse abilities. Yeah, you can't say to, to worship leaders give everybody a tambourine. Yeah. No, no. <laughs> but I mean, for like a concentrated moment, like Aaron, think about it. Yeah, everybody, yeah. what if you said, "Hey, everybody, on the count of three, for a full minute, we're just gonna, we're just gonna clap our hands, or we're gonna make as much noise as possible." Here's mm -hmm. some headphones for everybody. You know, hey, we're just gonna do it and just have this organic space where. People don't have to worship the same way, quiet and sitting down the entire time, you know? So that's more what, you know, that's more what I mean. But you're right. Any musician will say, <laughs> you can't bring the tambourine if you weren't in musician's rehearsal. <laughs> I think also going with this whole attitude, like I'm not in a church anymore, but like if I were, um, and I've seen it, I think one of the ways that churches can incorporate more of an inclusive 
um, welcoming space for um, what was the word that you used? Differently abled um, people. Diverse abilities. Like yeah. Families. <laughs> Diversity, thank you. <laughs> Diversity. Um, the little family spaces that I've seen in churches that's becoming a little bit yeah. more popular where there's like this little open space uh, with a rug and little tables and little chairs and stuff for kids and um, for families to sit. And it's more of an open, I guess, area. Um, that I've seen in one of the churches that I've like been to and they had it. And I thought that that was a really great space. And I've seen others that have had headphones available and the church that I was a part of, we actually, I would order every couple of months, um, the little earplugs that you could put in because mm -hmm. we liked our music loud. And <laughs> so we let people know, cause there was a lot of people that just did not, like it loud and there were kids and a couple adults that had headphones as well and we just I feel like and I I hate to be critical of the church at large now because I know people then will start tagging me as like a church hater Christian hater and stuff like that and I don't hate the church but I hate what the Stacey church you don't have to apologize the and... church has earned all of its stripes <laughs> yeah <laughs> you're, in, you're in good yeah, company hate, here and you but I hate what the church has become and I feel like it could be so much better if we were more inclusive of everyone like you know we we do a the church has done a crappy job of including everyone. So, yes, I, don't know. I feel like if we if we spent money, like I feel like money is always like the big question too as to why we don't do this because it's not profitable. You know, people with disabilities, oh, it. it's not profitable to make changes and adaptations to let them feel, you know. It's not profitable. However, there are things that we spend money unnecessarily on in the church, uh -oh. like flowers uh. and I don't know, the don't coffee bars and all this fancy stuff. <laughs> you know, I you mean, know, I, you just, I know, I know churches that have a hundred thousand dollar organ just sitting there unplayed for the last 20, yes. 30 years. Nobody's talking about moving that out and selling it. And this, like providing access to, Sonny, you said 2% of the population, right? Yeah. yeah. Knows of, of the deaf population. Yes. Is, is Christian. Yeah. I mean, we're talking like, like even, if that, even if that's nine people that would come to Christ if we uh, provided access for everybody, that's nine people. And, and, Church leaders always love to say, you know, if even one person is, right. is impacted by this, well, right. a this lot of people that would be impacted by this, yeah. not just in church, but in businesses, in, in restaurants, on TV, literally all over the place. It's why every single Netflix show and movie has closed captioning yes. in eight different languages. Yes. It's not because it's not because they're providing the exact same English only right. uh, Marvel movie in China. Right. It's because there are Cantonese speakers here in the United States who can't understand otherwise. Yeah. Yeah. 
but we can't get that through our thick skulls in the church. I mean, tell me we don't have to go on mission trips all over the world Ooh. and all over the country. Oops. Let me stop. Can you, can you imagine? Can you imagine instead of instead of going across halfway across the world, if you just put one person through uh, uh, two semesters of beginner sign language, it's literally like a hundred and fifty dollars class. You spend three hundred dollars, get this person. Ba- baseline learning and let them come back and teach five more people. <laughs> it's like what and an interpreter, a lot of interpreters but, but we gotta, yeah, we, a lot of interpreters actually do churches for significantly less. So they'll come and interpret for 50 bucks. 50 bucks for yep. your service. Yep. I'm like, oh my goodness. That's, the that's not what interpretation services cost. And just make sure you get one that matches your service, because um, yep. not everybody knows how to, knows how to translate. Well, that's what I. Services. That's why I said if you, just send, if you just send someone from within your in your membership, then you're good to go. <laughs> but you're right. Yeah, but imagine how much money to the, to the youth pastors' tasks. Oh, one, one more thing for sure. For <laughs> not sure. the youth pastor who's one also the thing. tech director, not, who's also not the, me over here. Got me over here looking up, and I was literally doing this 15 minutes ago, looking up deaf classes in the area and seeing. Yeah. Look, I already know it's it's been on my list. It's been it's been on my list already to take because it's it's. But it, I mean, you're so right though. It's it's because imagine like a lot of times we think about just the service, but like if you had someone within your church train, then you have someone that can help build relationships. You have somebody that can check on somebody if if that person's sick or if that person not that it's all their responsibility but there's much more than just attending church on sunday yeah where you can really support people and make them feel like this is their home too and that they're included and they're not just a bystander that are sitting on the side or in the back trying to you know have only some accessibility while everybody else has you know, the entire church and everything that there is to offer there to their ability. So I love, I love that this full inclusivity aspect of it. Yeah. So stop going on mission trips and pay for ASL class. (laughs) (laughs) I may or may be anti-mission trip. Maybe I'm not. Can we just start? Calling them what they are. They're just little vacations to make you feel better about yourself. I actually call them and poverty porn. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. That's what Especially I call them. it comes back to Facebook. And I post everything, but I get it. Like when we went to see the Mike Brown um, memorial the street memorial where he was killed um we specifically banned taking photos during that time like and and we were literally stepping around photographers who came and like people who would just travel down to do that kind of tourism of this tragedy um but i i say all that to say um so there's there is a way we can be sensitive there's a way we can be mindful of what our impact is and i love this idea of us reassessing our needs or auditing our needs and considering what what missions have we done to the people in our own neighborhood that we have to drive by to go ye therefore into all the worlds like yeah some can or will do that but have we really considered that instead of raising 
$10,000 to go to Africa, what if we use that money to increase our accessibility? What if we, what if we hired a consultant to come mm-hmm. in and help us get a, a five-year action plan mm-hmm. so that we can make our church as accessible as, as possible to audit who we have in our congregation who can help with this? You know, stuff that until we make a, a budget item in the church um, budget every year, until it becomes a part that we're going to actually dedicate funds to, to mm-hmm. things that we want to do, we won't get it done. Well, It'll yeah. always come secondary. It'll always get pushed behind. It's like, oh, well, we're working on Christmas right now. Deaf people don't need to hear about Christmas. And again, I'm, I'm, I'm being a little flip, but the, the, again, it's just this opportunity for us to, I've been using the word um, audit, you know, just to, to, instead of, instead of assume that, okay, well, we just need to add more money here or take away money there. Let's look at where we're, where our money go- is going. Let's look at where our, where our money is there. Our heart will be also. Um, let's look yeah. at that and then figure out, have we done all we can to make sure our services are accessible? Um, and, you know, answer that question for ourselves. I also want to share one, one good news thing. Um, I'd heard it was in development, but the, uh, ASL, uh, Bible Bible has finally been completed just in 2020 out of all these years, we have had all these translations of Bibles. We're just now getting the very first ASL Bible. Yeah. Something. Yeah, and let me let me just say that um, American Sign Language is a completely different language from English, um, which is why it's imperative that we do have interpreters, um, because even English, like closed captioning, um, it is it would be likened to probably me trying to read Spanish in you know from taking three years of Spanish in high school which means I really don't know any of it, but I might be able to get a few words (laughs) as I'm reading through. Um, So that's kind of like how, you know, like somebody doing like a second language um, that they kind of learn. If you're an American Sign Language user, um, it's very difficult for to have English, which was why it was imperative for um, the Bible to be fully translated visually into American Sign Language so that, the deaf community could actually fully understand um, versus trying to read English words. So just heads up on that. Right. That's, I did. That's not even, I mean, I learned something new because that's not something that I've thought of or the idea that some um, can, are just work fine reading lips. Mm-hmm. Like, or maybe have, is that true? Like some, some have like some hearing, but reading lips, like they can communicate effectively that manner. So, yeah. Um, I mean, it the statistics say the that when you read, <laughs> when you read lips, um, you get about 20% of the conversation. So, and then it changes if someone has like a mustache or uh, if they, if they are looking down or looking to the side, uh, those are conversations that are missed. So um, that twenty percent starts to go down um, when you when go you down. That. Yeah, so that's why you know partic- that particular com- community prefers um, signed language. 
It's also physically, I have, a, I have a friend who shares all the time, it's physically exhausting yes. the extra effort it takes to yes. try to read to write, read lips. And yes. then if you're at like a dinner party to be like trying to follow around a table, mm. who's it's talking really wearing the dimly lit Impossible. place? Yeah. Yeah. yeah, not so much. Yeah. So, so yeah, it just becomes a thing where someone may not even bother showing up unless yes. they can have an interpreter because... Yeah. All of all of them, all the work they do to accommodate themselves on an everyday basis to then have to add one more place or one more thing. Yeah, Mm -hmm. not so much. Yeah. And think about that. I mean, how often do we in small groups, we have people go around and talk and we say, whoever wants to go next, go ahead and go. Um, If you're someone who struggles, you know, to understand what's being said, that's a hard a hard thing to follow. So you just stop coming. Yeah. Yeah. And there's a, there's another piece to this. Like sometimes you might follow a series like this and be like, Oh, I have to change every single thing I know tomorrow because we want to do right. We want to be good. (laughs) Um, And I, I tend to think of these more as now that I've learned something new, I'll be mindful of the next time I, I can implement it. Yes. And so sometimes that means I still do things the same way and I'm just catching my internal monologue like, oh, wait, yeah, I said I want to stop using that word. Or, oh, let me try to make sure that I type up the question and put it in the chat and not just say it over a Zoom call. Mm-hmm. Um, those kind of things. And you just start practicing and you, and you build your practice so that by the time somebody says, hey, every time you do a question, I need it written. So that you've already kind of internalized, oh, yeah, this is an easy accommodation. It's not too much. It's not, you know, oh, this is too scary. You've already started uh, building that, that building up that new muscle <laughs> in yourself. Sonny said it a second ago, hire, you know, churches could hire a consultant instead of going on mission trip, not to change everything tomorrow, not to make sure that it's all good by Christmas, six months from now but to make a five-year plan. Like that's not even the implementation. It's just what are we going to do over the course of the next five years to be better, not to be perfect. And I think that's part of what we all need to internalize is this is all a process. We understand that we're all in progress. We understand that we're all changing always. Um, And this is something else. This is, you know, we, we need to get certain words out of our vocabulary. We need to uh, like Darren said, start implementing little practices, take little steps today so that when somebody asks us to jump tomorrow, we can. We've already started taking that that leap. We've already gotten closer to the goal so that the goal isn't this far away. It's only this far away. And if sorry, I forget that this isn't a visual medium. This is audio. I put my hands really far apart and then I put my hands really close together. Um, <laughs> and I was going to say something else, but but I forgot it because because of that so sorry yeah we uh we did have a few a few things like earlier we were we were watching each other on the screen but um we're holding up our fidget toys that we all keep within arm's reach at the computer (laughs) or you know just little little nonverbal things that that happen as well but again being mindful of it is the practice right for for those who is not not an ability that they struggle with us becoming mindful, us implementing it in the in the everyday parts of our lives, and uh, and we'll understand it better by and by. 
<laughs> yeah. So I like this conversation has been good. Um, in another space that I'm on, um, it's for stewards of little free libraries. Um, and I have one and we were discussing because there's, we have a progressive group for stewards and which is great. And we were discussing this, like, what is your accessible accessibility to your little free library? Cause a lot of them are on a post and they're maybe several feet off the ground. Yeah. Um, so how easy is it? Or is it in your yard? Like where in your yard is it? Are people in wheelchairs able to access it? You know, that sort of thing. So that's something I started had to start thinking about myself because while it's right close to my sidewalk, it's still, if you're in a wheelchair, you probably aren't able to open the door from the sidewalk and you wouldn't be able to wheel up onto my grass. So now I'm having to, like Darren said, audit, which I love that word. Like, what are the things that I can do to make my little free library more accessible and one of them is to pad up the space in front of it and then move my library more forward so it's right up against the sidewalk according to uh, city code of course but like just little differences that I can do and I have a plant stand that's also right there and that I could move forward as well so it's more accessible to anybody who would like to take it so just I think in our general life, we have to consider like different ways that we're not being accessible to everyone. So I think this conversation has been really good um, for me and just, I think for everyone and for church leaders to consider what, what do we need to do to be better humans to other humans? Mm. I love that. I love it. I love it. Sunny, you do a lot. And, you know, we've been talking about this one aspect. So I want to just give the people who are listening just a little, just whatever you want to say. Is there a project you're working on? Because I feel like every time I turn around, I'm learning like something new that you're doing or involved (laughs) in. And I know there are a lot of other spaces that you advocate for. So as we wrap up, I just wanted to give you that space to just, if people want to look you up, what projects are you working on, what other things that you do? Because again, I know you do a lot. Honestly, I am just focused on graduating. So this year, (laughs) this next year, I'll be spending a lot of time. I mentioned earlier in the podcast that when I went to school, you could only get an associates in uh, American Sign Language. So I'm finishing up my bachelor's in human services because, of course, I love people um, and want to serve them more holistically. Um, So I finished that up in the spring. So you will probably actually see me take a little bit of hiatus from a lot of things um, as I work to um, finish that so I can move on to my master's. So um, that is what I'll be working on. But of course, I'm always on Instagram. Um, you can follow me at um, at, at Say It Sunny, S-A-Y-I-T-S-U-N-N-Y. Um, you, I'm always on there. I live on Instagram. I, I don't do Twitter nearly as much, but same name. Um, or tic, I'm on TikTok too, so I'm, a, I'm on everywhere. <laughs> we love it. And I'm so glad that we had this opportunity to just 
talk with you and just learn more about what it is that you're doing and how we can all be better. And I've I've enjoyed it. I've learned I've learned a lot and it just each of these conversations are just so rich for me to just think of how can we do better little by little. And I think that's great. That's awesome. Thank y'all so much for having me. Thank you. So glad you could be here. Well, that is another episode of the Church Leaders Roundtable podcast. Uh, we have been talking about uh, disability or diversity or different abilities. And there's a whole lot of different ways people refer to uh, what it means not to be able-bodied or um, neurotypical. And so um, those may be a bunch of words, but hopefully this was a chance to get a few more ideas and tips for how you can be growing and confronting your own ableism, uh, as we all are doing, and um, looking for ways that we make love more accessible to everyone who Christ loved. So with that being said, we hope that you will rate this a thumbs up or share it with a friend. Uh, go back and check our other uh, recordings in this series and let us know what you think. Leave a comment, uh, send us an email, the CLR podcast at gmail.com or um, visit us on Facebook or Twitter. Until next time, see you soon.